discussion about politics, current events, and whatever else you can think of. We hope this will inspire you to share and chat more with your dad, via your biological father, grandfather, stepfather, like your father, or any other variation. I am your co-host, Aisha DeBerry, and I am here with the fabulous dad, Roy DeBerry. Uh, here, here, uh, Aisha. Aisha's always very kind, but she always talks about how fabulous I am. I think if we look at it, she's the one that's the one that's fabulous and the one that we always hear that people want to hear from. Uh, but we are really delighted to be here today in the historic uh, Montgomery, Alabama, to be with our wonderful guests that we have here, as well as the leaders with the uh, Racial Justice and Tech team. We have Janelle with us, who's one of the leaders. Uh, Ezra with us, one of the leaders. Uh, Steve is with us as well. You don't see them, but they are here. They came down. Day is with us here around this table. Glad to have her. Ava is with us. So pleased that you join us. Um, Isaiah, of course, earlier, I'm kidding. I referred to Isaiah as, as uh, Elijah. Elijah. So, <laughs> excuse me for not understanding the Old Testament prophets, right? <laughs> I'm not trying to apply to your prophet, but I got your name goofed up. And of course, Ashley is man in the booth in the back there. And I'm just here again to be uh, with Aisha, the star. Uh, I must say, though, before we get started with the official stuff, to hear from you guys that I do have a little pet peeve that I talked to Aisha about having to do with a friend of mine, Ben Cole, who texted me a couple of days ago and talked about the fact that his sister, mm-hmm. who is a well-known writer, fiction writer, Brandeis graduate, she's from my hometown. Her name is... Uh, Miss King, Marguerite King. She's a children writer. And I just learned from him, so I'm a little teased today, I'm trying to recover, but her book was just banned in the state of Florida. Now, what I'm really teased about is Florida is no small state, right? He's saying teased, but he really means pissed yeah, off. Tipped you know, off. Florida teeth. is one of the biggest states in America, and yet here we are in 2023, still banning books. I don't yeah. think we need to read, right? Not keep people from reading. But anyway, I don't want to go off on that. That's my right. opinion. All right, so let's get to the main focus. <laughs> All right, well, well, let's get started. Before we um, get into the podcast, of course, you all who are listening later to this do know that we are here in Montgomery. I didn't mention that when I did the introduction. And so I want Dad to give a little bit of context to why we're here in Montgomery. And again, I said before, we have three young adults here with us from New England who have traveled down to the good old South, you know, where we are. If you all know, I'm in Atlanta, Dad's in Mississippi. Um, and so we're glad to come together in Mon- Montgomery to make this happen. So Dad, I want you to give a little context as to why we're here. And then I want to hear from our young adults here in terms of where they're from and where they go to school. Thank you, Aisha. As I said earlier, it's a historic place. Uh, we here, uh, the young people here today, along with the leaders, have had an opportunity to go to the Museum, the Lynching Museum, and then after that we went to the Lynching Memorial, and we know this was put together by Brian Stevens, the well-known lawyer mm-hmm. who has done great work as related to justice. And Brandeis obviously is a place that put a lot of focus on on social justice. Now these are not students at Brandeis, although at some point I think one or two has indicated that they may be interested in going. We have high school students, and we have college students, or will be college students soon. It's a historic place to be. 
uh, Birmingham, I mean, Montgomery, Alabama, uh, because of all the history of the park, everybody knows about. Hopefully tomorrow you'll get a chance to uh, see that site as well. So it's just a historic place to be, uh, one where Dr. King uh, was prevalent, uh, John, F., John Lewis was prevalent here. Uh, just a, a great place with a lot of history in this museum. It's just a, a fantastic learning laboratory. But we want to hear more about that from these young people who had an opportunity to visit this laboratory, both the museum as well as the uh, memorial. Yeah, so let's just start with going around from my left, just your name and where you're from and the school you attend or will be attending, whatever you'd like to share. I'm Isaiah. I'm from Danvers, Massachusetts. I'm going to be, I currently attend Danvers High School, but I'm going to be going to UMass Dartmouth in the fall. Nice, okay. Hi, my name is Whitney. Yeah, you can do your full name. Um, hi, my name is Denise Hopkins. Um, and I'm currently not in college, but I'm going to college to Bunker Hill to be a chef. Nice. And where are you from? Where do you live? Oh, Boston. 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 Oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We're going to start some mess. Okay. <laughs> my name is Ava Newman. I'm currently at Davis High School with Isaiah. And next year, I'm going to be attending Babson College. Nice, Babson. nice. Okay. I think you should have something. Well, I tried to encourage you to go to Babson. He did. And I didn't get universities in. But then she opted to go to Northeastern, so <laughs> I, I'm not going to take any credit for that. Yeah, so we have all New England people, so from the South, shout out if you're on Facebook, if you are from the South and from the West Coast or the East Coast, because you see we already have a Boston shout out <laughs> to the right. So, man, what questions did you have? For well, you know, one of the things that struck me, and I had asked them earlier, you know, just... From the standpoint of being in these two days, and I know um, uh, this is not your first trip for the, the leader, but just what struck you about today? Yes, just initially at the museum, and then obviously when we went to the memorial, what what struck you is, is very significant. Um, it doesn't have to be anything profound. What's, what struck you about today's uh, uh, tour? I feel like a lot of it, I just didn't realize that stuff I just was not educated about at all, and that I feel like I should have been taught about throughout like my school. Yeah. And I feel like everything that we learned about like the economics of it all, and like, like I didn't realize like slavery was so like economic, and like that's why it happened. It's like about money and power, and I feel like if like more of what we learned today was taught at school a lot of the racist comments and jokes that we hear throughout our like suburban like white school it wouldn't be as prominent as it is now mm. Mm. other comments <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i'm last <laughs> Okay. She said she wants to go last for those who can't see we got some shy ones that's thinking about their question no, no, but I found really um, interesting about today is how powerful it really is. Like, it's quite the experience. I think it's the experience because you can look, you can always like read textbooks, you can read stories, but like have it like right out in front of you. It's like it plays on your basic human empathy really a lot, and that's what makes that so such a powerful experience. Is because you can understand slavery and you can understand our past, but to have it put out right in front of you, to have it play on your empathy, it really really makes you sit there and think. Yeah. So 
I, what I really, really found interesting was that like slavery was a business. Like I always understood that slaves were property, but I never quite understood that they were commodities. Okay, mm. they didn't know there was like like extensive business surrounding them all. Like there were routes between different cities that like I didn't know. I also didn't know this. Right? That Massachusetts was the first state to uh, um, like allow slavery. And so you don't hear about that. Yeah, you, we don't we don't learn about that. They only hear about the positives. Some really the first like right. state to like kind of stop. Yeah. In our U.S. Yeah. one course, a lot of like now that I reflect and go back and look at like what we learned about slavery, then a lot of it's focused on like the South and slavery, but it's the North and slavery is never really talked about. Right. And I think that's like a really essential part because that's where a lot of the slaves like like those were big slave hubs. Yeah. And yeah, that's where a lot of slave journeys like, started before they went down, were sold to master to master and ended up in the cell. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, you know, when I used to be in high school, when I was in high school in the late 90s, you know, there was always this thought process that, you know, all slavery started in the South. People want to be here in the yeah, South, so you know. People are so kind here. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's what we, we've noticed. Like, a lot of people are really nice. We have like, Uber drivers and they're all like, but, like, I've never had an Uber driver that genuinely wants to talk. But, like, we had an Uber driver yesterday going to Walmart and he's talking to us about the history and like, informing us about everything. And it was just really cool to like, see, like, he's interested in what happened here and he wants to tell other people. It was just really interesting to see like how friendly they were just like to talk to you mm-hmm. because most people in, in Boston say like you you're in an Uber like ride and like, you won't say a word mm-hmm. <laughs> it'll be dead silent yeah they commute there but what I found interesting is that I can't believe there was that many people that had to suffer like when I saw that I was walking through and like they were saying four thousand and I was looking to the left and they were saying fifteen thousand and it's like a lot of our people die and what's crazy is it's still going on today and it's sad that a lot of white people or any color still we they still don't know like what happened back then and I feel like if they did know this wouldn't be happening if if white people if white well white people felt I mean, seeing what what we've just seen today, I think they possibly would change their mind, you know, their perspective. I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, you talk about education, for example. And then Cosby Wilson wrote, wrote a book called The Miseducation of, of the Negro. He should have written a book about the miseducation of America, right? So to your point, though, I was thinking about those people that says, perhaps what you saw today, that people ought not to see that. That is too painful. Yeah that, uh, you know, you ought not tell these stories in the book uh, because, you know, just for, forget about it. It's all in the past. Let's just be brothers and move on. So if you're in an education and you're trying to teach another generation, would you take that path or would you take a different path of exposing people to things that are not so pleasant, exposing things to people that are not so nice, exposing them to a history that's not always taught? Would you be willing to do that? Because I mentioned that now, given what you've said about education, that this is really educational to learn about these things that you didn't know about. Should people know about these things or should you hide them? You need to know. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, everybody needs to know the truth. But see, 
they don't want to know the truth. So it's it's difficult. Or if they find the truth, they find lies to tell. Me. So it's like hard to to say the truth because you don't know how many people are gonna believe you. So yeah, that's all I had to say. I didn't know. I just think you have to learn from the mistakes, or else they're gonna keep being repeated. If you don't show history and everything that's happened with it, I think history is just going to repeat itself. And that's why you have to educate these people on like the wrongs and rights of like what has happened and the effects of these choices that people have made. Otherwise, it's going to happen again, some point in the future. And so, I think educating people is really important so they can learn what happened, even though it might be hurtful hard to hear you have to know that because it's real and it did happen and though it might be hurtful to hear like people actually went through the experiences you i don't know i just think it's more important and that you when you tell when you gotta also when you have children too like when i i saw this so when i have children i'm gonna tell my children what i saw mm. and then then when they grow up and they have children I want them to tell them what I saw as well. And um, I want them to know what history, how our African Americans were treated. Mm. That's all. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, even though it, like, it might not be easy, it's really essential to like expose people to the truth of what happened, even if it doesn't, like, even if it hurts their feelings or if, they, if it's painful. Because that's the only way I think we really learn not like we just have to know like we can you we don't know better if you don't know at all so i think it's really important to expose people to the truth yeah i think you know dad and i have talked about this a lot is that i think one thing that america does really well is be in a state of denial i think we've done that very well with um not exposing things that truly hurt but the fact of the matter is like what you're saying if we don't if we don't expose the, the truth then it will repeat itself and it is repeating itself, yeah. right? And it's not to say that you always have to be gloom and doom about it, but we have to acknowledge that it happened. I think, I can't collectively speak for all African-Americans, but I can say a, a vast majority that I speak to all the time is just saying, just acknowledge that slavery happened, yeah. you know? Like just say that and we can start from there and, and build conversations out of it. But I think there's so many, um, there's so much distrust because to your point, if you say it and people don't believe it. And so that's discontent. And so you just continue this, right? This kind of strife. So I feel like it's like it's like the Bible. So there's so many different types, types. And you never know what's the real Bible. People will be pointing out, oh no, this is the real Bible. Oh no, this is the real Bible. But we don't know the actual truth. Like we don't know what Jesus looks like. But people say, oh, he'll look like this, oh, he'll look like that. But we need to know for sure what he, what he really looked like. But we're never going to know. Mm-hmm. William Faulkner uh, from Oxford, Mississippi, where I live now, uh, has a quote, and I probably misquoted him. He says, you know, the past is not dead. It's not even past. So, you know, again, sometimes people want to just make the past dead. But in many ways, if you just articulated, the past comes back to haunt you, right? Mm-hmm. Right, in all kinds of strange ways. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked the question about this uh, this um, desire to confront the past. Um, uh, Isha talked about this notion of, of, of denial. One of the things you hear from some scholars uh, is this notion, and you guys obviously like to read, you read a lot, 
is this notion of America is exceptional. And America is an exceptional place. And one of the things in our podcast, Aisha and I have talked about is democracy versus a democratic republic. And there are differences. And oftentimes we refer to our country as a democracy. And I want to ask you a minute about when you thought about a democracy, will the democracy allow what you saw today to happen? And you know, you, you, you can think about that for a moment. The other thing is when you're saying that your, your country is exceptional, uh, nobody's denying the idea that uh, America is an idea. It has a constitution, right? And it has a principle that all men are created equal and, and all men should be born free. I bought a book so uh, called Masters of the Mountain by Thomas Jefferson and his slaves. And the book is written by Henry uh, Weinstein. And what it gets at is, the, and I know you've had some history, so you know about Thomas Jefferson, and you know about the Declaration of Independence, because we get ready to separate the fourth, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that, and I was talking to Ezra, someone about this earlier, maybe it was Janelle, but this notion of, of uh, you talked about commodity, and you talked about being an economic system. Uh, Jefferson was very bright, right? He spent time here, and he spent time in France. Good writer, good thinker, philosophy. But he was living in contradiction. Not only would Sally Hemmings, his mistress, who he considered to be a commodity, yet he could have children by her, right? And at the same time, was going back and forth between France and America, and he had Monticello, which is in Virginia, right, Charlottesville, uh, and had Africans doing all this work around his plantation to make it a great place. So when he would get European visitors, as he often got in Virginia in those days, they would ask him certain questions. If you think you're saying these people are inferior, and these people are commodities, and these people are not capable of certain things, how is it that when I walk around your plantation, everything that's been done at this plantation yeah. have been done by people that look like people of color? And Jefferson really couldn't deal with that, except he got another question about literature, because at the time, the colony did not rank with France and other places in Europe, right? So the question was, well, you don't do anything in literature. And the man pointed out, Phyllis Wheatley, who was a well-known, probably the best-known American poet of the time. So what I'm saying is, even if you look at the history, and you saw that today in terms of all the work done by the bricks you saw on the wall, the commentary, the master craftsman, right? So how do you say to people that people are inferior and they are not worthy of humanity, and yet everything that's taking place on your plantation from a skill capacity done by people that don't look like you? So I think that's part of that contradiction too, that when you talk about it being an economic system, is how do you reconcile the economic system with humanity? Because if, if the regular system makes you a commodity, and at the same time you go to bed and sleep with a woman and have children by her, is she just a, a commodity or is she also a human being? But anyway, I threw that out because you sort of, y'all have talked about that, the contradiction of trying to say an exceptional country, in many ways you are, because when you criticize, as you said earlier, that means you don't love your country, right? You still love your country, but, but the criticism is to make your country better. Dr. King says, I want to make you better. I want to make you a beloved community. If that's what you say you want to be, 
But then if they didn't do that, you got to also look at the scholars, right? I think that's what you all are saying. So how do you deal with this issue of, you know, I asked you about the critical race theory without defining it, but we gave example Florida banning books. So how do you deal with the fact that schools and states now don't want anything of this nature to be taught, period? How do you, how do you deal with that? What do you say to that? In light of what you saw today? I think that's really wrong, because I think it's only through education and through like knowing and acknowledging what happened, we can make our country a better place. Because there's obviously, I, I believe there's systemic issues in America, there's systemic racism in America, and only through acknowledging our past and educating our like population can we allow for our representatives, for our, our government to fix to become better, to improve. Um, can you ask the question again? Well, I, I, just, just to follow up on that, yeah. Oh, what, yeah. What would you, how would you deal with this issue that these folk, and again, I'm going beyond just how you feel personally, but folk are taking some action against teaching things like what you saw today. Um, what would you say to that? What would you say to your friend that said, I don't think these things ought to be taught because it's all about critical race theory. And we don't think these things should be taught. We shouldn't read books. We shouldn't have That's a That's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I um, agree. <laughs> ridiculous. Um, I feel like, personally, I'm sorry, I'm going personal again, but I feel like if our black community knew what we saw today, I think maybe the crime rate would go down. Like, I'm saying, like, like men, like, boys or, or, or men, like, killing each other and all that. If these boys seen what we just seen, maybe. I don't think they would do what, they, what they're doing. Like, what if one argued that you, you make a good point, but what if I put that little thing back to you and say, Yeah, you told me. Yeah, what if the situation, what you saw today, mm-hmm. made that boy? In other words, when you went from we gotta slow, teach them. We gotta teach them what 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 um Malcolm X or Martin Luther King taught us, and how to not how to not fight with our with our with our guns or not, but fight with our voice. Mm-hmm. Our voice is very is more powerful mm-hmm. than than a, than a gun. So take and it. Some of these boys don't understand. A lot of these kids don't understand that. And I feel like these teachers need to explain to them that your voice is more powerful. And that's what policemen or that's what the white man or white woman don't like. They don't like us to speak out. They want us to be quiet and not say anything. And that's why, I think that's why they turned down that book, um, the book that you were saying in Florida, because they don't want anybody to talk about it. Because if they do, it's gonna be big and they don't want it to be big. Because it's all because it's about black people instead of white people. If it was white people, we would have been. It would have been. Um, people would have been. How do I say this? Um, like we would have been able to read it, but since it's a black woman, it's a big deal. So they have to shut it down, which doesn't make sense. It's unfair, completely. Yeah. And they want to say they want to say that that. Um, that 
everything is fair and we're all equal and that's not equal. And I want the world to know that the world is still unequal. We need it to be equal. Because like you said, we're all the same. We're just different color. Our skin color is just different. That's all. Thank you. We had that conversation at lunch today. I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned the thing about uh, race being a sociological concept and not a biological concept, yeah. and that you're 99.999% the same, right? Yeah, somebody's Except, been studying. <laughs> and the economic system separated you. Anyway, so thank you. Yeah. Uh, and it's so important, too, like what you're talking about, when you hear that phrase, speak truth to power. The more that you speak up, that's not just a, a hang phrase that a lot of people attach Malcolm X or the Malcolm X grass movement or Pan-Africanism, all those things that you hear. Speaking truth to power does bring power when you speak truth and speak mm -hmm. up, right? So you can, you can speak up in so many different ways. You don't have to be out in the streets speaking mm -hmm. up. We need those people. We always need those people to stir it up, to raise it up. But speaking can be just one-on-one -on -one in a conversation with your friend saying, wait a minute, that's un unacceptable what you just said. Or wait a minute, that fact that you just gave was not true. I was just at the Legacy Museum and it said boom, boom, boom. And what you're saying, whatever you got off of TikTok, that's not it, right? And so that's one way. Another way is to, to pull your teacher to the side and say, listen, you know, you're putting out all these books, Huckleberry Finn, et cetera, et cetera. What about Tahisi Coates? What about all the local writers that are black and brown? Why are we not hearing about those books? So a lot of times, and Dad and I talk about this as well, we hope that teachers and leaders will do what's right. But we also have to advocate for ourselves. And you can do that at any level. You don't have to be a leader. You don't have to be a director. You don't have to be the SGA president to be able to speak up. You can always speak up. You know, and so that that asks, that makes me want to ask you all the question, what made you all decide that you wanted to be a part of this group and come down? Like, where did that come from? Because I am shocked and surprised. And Dad told me, I was like, I was like, say what? What's going on? So, please, please share. I mean, for me and Isaiah, I know it started with a club that we currently run in our school yeah. called Mention Equity Inclusion Leadership, nice. where we are basically trying to teach like the freshmen of our school and possibly like the middle schools as well and educate them on things that they like may not have learned in like the normal school system that we think they missed out on. Like the museum here, like there's stuff that we learned today and we want to bring back to it because we think it's really educational. And it's stuff that we can use and bring it to like people back at our home. And this is the club we run. We just think it's really important for education, obviously, we want to be informed as well. Yeah, so that's one of the main reasons we're down here, um, is to like bring back what we've learned here, back to our school and back to our club, to better educate those students on social inequities. Mm -hmm. So that we, like, as we've been talking about, education is really important. And like, especially being from like a really white suburban town that doesn't have a lot of diversity, a lot of the people in our town and school aren't really like exposed to other people of color and they're not exposed and to like the truth of like what really happened. And so we hope that like by using diversity, equity, inclusion, like learning and education, we can make our school a more equitable and safe place. So dig to dig a little bit deeper with this organization, what made you want to even spark that or be a part of that? 
Was there like a personal story in your life? Was there something you just said, I want to sign up to put this on my resume? I mean, what what sparked you? So early, like last year, August, I'm pretty sure, there was a few articles came out about our school. And um, they were talking about our hockey team and, our, and like their actions. And they had, they had a horrible hazing incident. And they, oh, there was also a lot of other matters relating to race and social equities. Um, where they said not the best or great things. And so that slowly came out and we learned about that. And not only us, there's a good portion of our school wanted change, wanted change. Because if people are like, if our, like if people we know are saying stuff like they were saying, mm-hmm. then we felt as though like that's not acceptable. And like while some of us like acknowledge it's not acceptable, some didn't. Yeah. And yeah. we wanted to make sure that like that didn't happen again. Stuff like that didn't happen again. Like we, we wanted to stop we wanted to stop hazing. We wanted to educate people on social equities. And so we thought that like targeting the freshman class and really educating them about social equities, bystander effect, like social media, all of that will help them develop as leaders. Mm-hmm. And so that when they're club presidents and when they're sport captains, they can make those right choices. Good. What made you Decide I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to keep coming down to Montgomery all the way from Boston. Um, part of it was my dad. Oh, okay. So your dad forced you? Is that no, what you're no, no, okay. no, no, no. Just checking. But he asked me because sometimes I ask him about like where I come from or how were African American slaves back then and all that because I wanted to know what it was like. To be, um, how did, how was it like to be African American back then? And um, after this, I'm gonna go spread the word. And so get him. But I wanted to go tell my friends, and then they tell their coworkers and all that. And um, I just want, I want people to know the truth. Hey, Asia, um, for the purpose of this podcast, I just want the audience to know that I just uh, asked your dad and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, your colleague to, to please join us. It was going. It was going very well, and I want to just point out to the audience that uh, he's a sheriff, uh, law enforcement uh, officer from up in the Boston area, and I was just impressed with the fact that first of all he, he's uh, here, and also the fact that he's a sheriff that's progressive, yeah. uh, has a background that looks at incarceration from a very different perspective. I just think it's just wonderful that we can have law enforcement because oftentimes law enforcement gets some bad rap. Right. And, and sometimes, you know, I think sometimes so, we give y'all a bad, bad rap. We do not give law enforcement yeah. a bad rap. But it's so <laughs> exactly. But it's so it's so uh how can I say inspiring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and also educational mm-hmm. for people to understand just like you can't stereotype people of color uh, or anybody for that matter, you yeah. also can't stereotype people in law enforcement. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Uh they're bad apples. But don't let the bad apples, you know, cover the whole uh, bushel, right? Yeah. So I think the fact that your father is here along with the other team is just an inspiration to me personally. Uh, frankly, I haven't seen that before where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, an officer, or in this case a sheriff, would, would take the time to come and spend two days um, at the museum with young people. I'm very impressed with that. Yeah, shout yeah. out to him. He's in the back. Y'all can't hear but, or see him, but he's here. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I you know, just to 
kind of tr transfer from just the leg legacy museum, you know, what are some of the aspirations that you all have for the future? Like, what would you like to be in terms of, I know sometimes it's hard to know what you want to be in terms of a career, but if you all have any aspirations or things you would like to be, I would love for our, our viewers to hear that. Like, what would you like to grow up and do? What would you like to inspire to do? Anything that kind of inspire you from the day? It's kind of a robust question, but. I'm very passionate about the environment. I took environmental science in my junior year, and I've always just like loved the environment, but I didn't really understand how it worked and what we would do to our environment until then. And ever since then, I've just been kind of hooked. And so I was thinking at Babson, I was going to do like a business approach of it because they only offer business at Babson. And I was going to do like a concentration in environment sustainability to kind of just like take charge of it in a different way instead of like doing the sciencey aspect, but instead of like a business management aspect of it and hopefully like trying to like, you know, just like change policies and just, just help like things overall. Cause I know like the politics of it isn't like too good currently and I just want to help it in way I can. I love how the, you talked about the, the piece of the environment. Cause I think many times when we talk about systematic racism or systematic injustice, it goes straight to many times law enforcement, mm -hmm. um, criminality uh, mm -hmm. by body to body, right? But when we talk about environment, that in itself, some of those systems have been racist um, or unjust by way of where people are living, based on where they're living, how the air is, food deserts, things as we call the social determinants of health. So I think that's so critical. I think people need to know that doing environmental work is very critical in civil rights work, you yes. know, when you, when you speak to that. So Which is why like, I also love doing this because I can like, combine everything together mm -hmm. and it's just like educational anywhere because like, they just fit in different pieces that most people don't realize, which is really interesting to me. If I may point out in terms of the team, so I mentioned the issue of the, of the uh, law enforcement. We also have Janelle there who has a background, you know, in terms of well, she's been all over the place in the background. Shout out to Janelle. Look her up on LinkedIn. Uh, Janelle right King. At the Heller School, which is one of the well-known Heller School, of School of Public Policy in the country at Brandeis. Uh, she's also worked with the public school system. Look her up, y'all. Uh, and also is, I think, in the process of doing her own school. Okay. Uh, and then you talked about social determinants. We have Esra there. Uh, to Farrell from from Brandeis. Look well, him up, Ezra. School. Uh, <laughs> so so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a team of the leaders that come cuts across, uh, you know, law enforcement, um, education, yeah. uh, as well as uh, 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 medicine mm -hmm. uh, or in, in medicine related background. So it's just you're fortunate to help. I oh, wish yeah. I had that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but just shout out. Shout out. We like to give shout, shout out. out to okay. The team. Look them up, LinkedIn, social media, they're on there. We'll put it on the end so you all can connect with them if they are okay with that. <laughs> what are you all's aspirations? <laughs> Wait, you really want me to go? No. My aspiration? Mm -hmm. I know you know. Dreams. <laughs> you just talked about it. Well, <laughs> I did? Yeah. What did I <laughs> They're whispering for those. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking. <laughs> you already know what I was thinking. So, um, my aspiration is. Oh, wait, I just lost it. 
Um, chef. Yeah, it's chef. <laughs> <laughs> It's a chef, but like, not necessarily. Okay, so I don't want to work at a restaurant. I want to have my own business at mm. home. And see, the difference between me and some of the other chefs is that they always, maybe they'll feed the rich. I want to go out and feed the rich and the poor. I want, I want both. I want everybody to be happy. I'm very, I'm the type of person that is like, very equal. So, however the rich is treated, the poor will be treated the same way. And so, um, I'm just looking out for everybody. When I cook, I cook for everybody. Like, you'll even ask my dad, I cook a lot of food. Oh, wow. Um, we know where so, to go we come to Boston. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if I cook, I cook for everyone. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes, that's gonna be, I mean, Again, even to environment, now we're talking about food, right? And healthy eating and access to restaurants and being able to go to a nice restaurant. Many, many of us don't even get that opportunity. I think we're fortunate that we go to restaurants and have a good time. There are a lot of people over the course of their lives that don't experience being in a nice restaurant and seeing a black chef, mm -hmm. a black female chef. That's amazing. Um, I, I was just... Um, not to get back on me, but I was just doing a graduation for a program of chefs in the making, brown and black uh, women in particular. And I said, like, that's so hopeful because even in the area I live, which is very dense, there's not a lot of restaurants. There's a lot of fast food. It's Wendy's, maybe a Taco Bell or something like that, or a fish and wing joint or something like that. But to have a nice restaurant that's affordable, that we all could go to as a family, that means a lot. That means a lot for the community. And on your point about being a chef, you know, the urban farming is, is becoming more of a big thing. It's easier in a, in a rural area. But then uh, you have a lot of land in, in Boston, for example, and other urban areas where there's vacant lots are. People just uh, sort of reclaiming these vacant lots and growing healthy food. Because to Asia's point, not only do you want to have access to going to a restaurant, but you also want to have affordability. Yeah. And in some cases, when you can't pay the price of high food, Grow your own food, mm -hmm. and that can be a help as well. And chefs can help with that process because you can help with the menus and everything else. So, great. Um, as Ava said, like her passion is environment. My passion lies with government politics, all aspects of it. Because um, uh, really, because like my goal is to like help as many people as possible. And when I was younger, I realized that's really possible through politics, through advocacy, through like. Politics as a whole allows it's like where you can make the most change. And so I really want to help as many people as possible. So politics, whether it be like being a politician or like being helping a camp, like being on a campaign team or being or being an advocate or like anything at all, that's what I want to do. We will vote for you. <laughs> Listen to any of our past podcasts. There's a lot of people we did not think we should vote for. We will vote for you. Thank you. And he's a, a great contact. Oh, Lord that. have mercy. She, <laughs> she accused me of doing everything political as well, so yes. on the club. Uh, but this notion that a lot of older generation, people my generation, oftentimes uh, criticize, overly criticize, and they make statements about anyhow you stereotype and you put people in groups. You yeah. say, this generation is not doing this generation. This is about social media generation. They're about themselves. They really are not about social service. They're not about 
anything but themselves. How, how do you respond to people out there that, you know, say this about your generation, that y'all are not really about anything except yourselves and being on social media? I think, I think, especially <laughs> we have shown that's not true at all. Like, whether it be like, or like us coming out in like the midterms recently or in the general election, I feel like our generation shows that we really care about our future, our environment, and like, like a whole bunch of different issues. And like, we really care about our future and we are willing to come out and like show that. Um, I also think as young people, we have a unique perspective that you guys might not have. Mm -hmm. So I think that unique perspective allows us to like, like not better do things, but do things from a different way. Mm -hmm. Are you excited about voting when it comes time? Oh, I've already voted. You've already voted, yeah. okay, that's right. I'm just guessing your age, look at that. Well, how did you feel about it when you, did you feel obligated? Did you feel excited? Oh, your, other, your other friends, did they vote? No, no, not really. Because I used to, since I've been 16, I've worked like every poll in my town. Because mm. it's at the high school, so it's like, really easy. So, but like, I didn't really feel like obligated. It was just like, I'm there, I might as well just vote. Mm -hmm. Well, also, I was really excited. <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. I think I'm excited about it. How do you use this phone? Oh, new generation. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say to that, but um, I don't know what to say to that. But I mean, I've gotten so used to him saying that, so I, I like don't know what to say. I just keep quiet. But um. Yeah, I honestly just keep quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I honestly feel like probably older generations probably say that because they view us from what they see on the media of us. And the media likes to portray a lot of negativity. Mm. And so a lot of like kids will post these bad things or like news people will like find these like negative things about our generation and post it. Like, look at what the kids are doing these days. As if like their generation was doing like very similar things. We just have technology now and we're being exposed. And I think there, people like to not, I think I've mentioned this before, like people don't like to notice positivity as much. Like that's what gains the attention is the negativity. Like that's what news articles feed off of is negativity a lot. And I think that's probably what our, like the older generations are like seeing from us, from the media which is probably why they have this misconception that we don't like want to work as hard as they used to or anything like this, which I think being actually this region, I don't agree with that. I think I've met like wonderful people who have like a hard determination to do good in this world. I've met a lot of people who feel the same way. Mm. I like how parents say your generation and then like we do things and then they do those things that we do. <laughs> so you're saying we're copying you. Yeah, pretty much. Like, can, you like, say, can you give me an example? Right. Yeah, so like, example. like the daughter's dancing on TikTok and then mother comes out of nowhere and starts dancing, <laughs> doing the, 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 I don't know. And it's like, how are you going to say that? I and know, then like, dance and all that, but, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> so what do you think of us in terms of, because I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm 40 plus, and then dad is considered a baby boomer. Wait, he's not considered, I am a baby boomer. <laughs> <laughs> he's a baby boomer. He's 70 plus. What do you all think of us, you know, 
are, you know, if you could come up with some generality, just for fun. I just wonder what you all think about our generation. Listen, like, uh-huh. like particularly you guys. I don't know if you meant like the generation. Yeah, just the generation as a whole. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have like a thought of the generation as a whole. Yeah. I don't. I'm thinking real hard. <laughs> Do we, do you think we listen to you? Do you Absolutely. Think? I mean, I you, see you it's people. like okay. Sorry. You understand very well. Like we wouldn't understand what other people like what other people say, but like you guys been no offense. Um you guys been here longer than we have on this planet. So you guys know more. Mm-hmm. So like my dad's always like I know more than you. And it's like, you do know more than me. You've been here longer than me. Yeah. So it's like, I listen, that's why I listen to him because he's been here longer than me. So when I look at you guys, it's like I'm looking up to you because like, when you've been here longer and you've seen things that we've had, we may have not seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love to hear that. George Washington Carver has a really good um, quote about that that speaks to we all have to remember different phases in our lives. If you're older, we have to remember at one point we were your age. Yeah. We may not have had the tools, but we were doing a lot of the similar things. Mm-hmm. And then the same, to your point, you know, you have to think ahead and, and gleam on the wisdom, knowing that this is steps ahead of where you are. But we have to do it both, right, together. We can't be over here being like, we know it all, and you all can't be over there like, I'm not trying to listen. We have to, you know, kind of come together. It's so rich when you do that, right? Oh. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. Like, like, let's say, like, I want to become what my dad is. I gotta look up to my dad because my dad is what I want to become. Right, right. And so I gotta learn from him. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons today where when we wanted to do this podcast is that we wanted to be intergenerational. Uh, and in fact, you guys, Aisha, me, so we got we got three generations, not three, because yeah, we have. Probably four, uh, four or five in this whole room. Yeah, in the whole room. Yeah. So, so the idea was to be intergenerational because sometimes people uh, want that. I will say, and this is a criticism of the of the baby boomers because uh, you know Bill Clinton is a baby boomer, uh, Trump is a baby boomer, Biden is a baby boomer. All, all those people born well after World War Two, and they were some of them were considered to be the great generation, right? That they sort of shaped America, and and a lot of time they don't want to relinquish that role. And I think one of the things that this generation, my generation, has to do is say, okay, yeah, we did all these great things, but now there's another generation coming along. Can you still perform the role as advisor and be the wisdom that you just talked about, but step out the way? And I think politicians sometimes have a hard time. I will say this though: if you compare our society in America with other societies, particularly in the East, China, Africa, and other places, when you get to be a certain age, people don't put you out to dry. Typically then in this country, to some extent, when you get to a certain age, people put you out to dry. And I think one of the things that has to happen in the future is that generations have to kind of merge and say, you don't have to put me out to dry. I can still play a role. I can still be make a contribution. You, you make a contribution. You can learn from me. I can learn from you, and we can both make a better, make this a better place. I think that's what you what you're saying is by learning from your dad, by learning from that generation. Even though you're going to be stepping up and replacing your dad at some point, but your dad would have paved the way for you if you took the time to listen to the wisdom that he tried to impart, 
And I think this this is where we got to learn in America a little bit is how to get the generations to really start to communicate with each other instead of turning your back and say, you don't have anything to say to me because you're too young. Or you turn your back and say, he doesn't have anything to share with me because he's too old. It's that kind of, we got to find that happy Yeah. Thank you. And that, that's, I mean, you can just share, because I know you don't like to always share your history, just so you all know, you never like to share the history. So that's why I, why we're doing a podcast. But anywho, I digress. Um, you, you know, talk about when you were a child in doing Freedom Summer, and that it was really an intergenerational thing. So this is not a new concept. To no, talk it's not. About. Right, thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, I had an opportunity to, you know, work with SNCC as a, as a young person. And got a chance to meet older guys like Stokely Carmichael. You saw him in the Native Museum, Bob Moses. You saw him in the museum. Uh, I, I had a chance to talk and get to meet these people. They were older than me, right? I was working young. But I think they listened to me even as a young person. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made me an activist. I would have been an activist for, at 14 or 15, right? But by the same token, I learned from them. And much of what I still do today really come from that intergenerational dialogue that we had at a very early age. And I think that's one reason why I have so much respect for young people today, is because older people respected me. They didn't say, you 14, you don't have anything to say. They said, come and join me in this room. Let's have a conversation. We want to hear what you think about a certain thing. Or if there's some things to do out there in the community, even though you're young, we still have enough faith in you to allow you that opportunity to do that. And I think that's your whole point is, how do you allow uh, young people who have something to say and something to contribute to society in so many ways, how do you allow them space in that room? And how do you allow old people to have that space in that room as well? And I think uh, that's what uh, Aisha is, is, is driving to get. I think they may see something me, but we may not. And I feel like that's good. I feel like the young, it's really good to hear their side of the, yes. their side because they they could be a great asset. Absolutely great. great. You just wrote a dissertation. I think we have a raised hand in the back. I'm sorry. I also think it's important to mention, um, and so Isaiah and David will probably speak about this too, but the next generation needs to be ready to lead when that baton is handed. They don't, at times, sort of own when that leadership role and things come forth until. Oh, you're right on. Uh, uh, you're right on, Janelle. I think that this, uh, what you're doing on this trip, is, a, is 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 leadership building. You know, it's a lot of other stuff you're getting as well. Uh, how to work as a team, uh, how to live together, how to travel together. Uh, all of these attributes will be used later on in life, and so the fact that they are giving you that kind of exposure now is priceless. Thank you. I think me and Isaiah are extremely fortunate that we've had the opportunity to have Ms. Lily as an advisor. I think she's taught us amazing leadership skills. And with what she's taught us, we've been able to create this like incredible program that I mentioned before Next Gen. With our program, like I mentioned before, we are educating the freshmen. And not only about like inequities, we're also educating them on how to become future leaders. Because we realize like when we were freshmen, you look up to the seniors as like the leaders and a lot of them weren't good role models they would like as Isaiah also mentioned like in the hockey like the, the news like they those were our upperclassmen and they weren't role models that we could actually look up to 
And that's why we're educating our freshmen and trying to teach them what a good role model looks like and how to be one so that when they get to the position to be a senior, they can execute and show all of these qualities that we taught them and they can just be confident in the role as an upperclassman. There's well. no slogan, you will be what you see. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what you, you're doing, you're mentoring in a way uh, by example. Yes, exactly. I totally agree. I also think that like, this may sound weird, but I think that analogy of like freshman year to like senior year sort of works with like mentee mentor relationships as well. Like right now we're sort of like freshmen in like life and like that team over there are like the seniors that we look <laughs> up to. But you're not old, I'm just saying like the analogy, you guys are the seniors. And like eventually they're gonna have to step down and like eventually it's gonna be the mentee's time to take those like take their place. And so I think that's like really, really important. And that's why this trip is like, as you were mentioning, like that your like freedom summer and like having that time to like communicate with like people of different generations and having that dialogue is really important. And that's another thing that Miss Riley does that's really great is that like she listens to us and but we also listen to her. And so that dialogue exists, and we can always go to Miss Riley to talk about something, and we always have like that opportunity to have that conversation, mm. and that can exp- like expand our horizons, and we both in turn become better people and become better leaders. Yeah, I just want to expand on that thing about mentorship. Um, we're working with uh, with the team from Brandeis now to, uh, to to a program at Benton County where I've been, uh, have a nonprofit, right, that's based on the book Voices from the Mississippi Hill Country that you all got copies of. And this thing is really about how we get, even though it's remote, but how, and it's a win-win for both the students in Benton County, which is a, you know, a, a county that's under-resourced, and a, a place like Brandeis, which is not under resource, right? But it, it's by the same token, there's gonna be training ground there for them uh, to bring for the STEM, uh, whether it's not STEM, uh, to work with kids there in Benton County as mentors and as uh, tutors. And then at some point, maybe the students from Brandeis can come down to visit the, the school in Benton County, and the kids from Benton County can come up to Massachusetts and Boston at some point down the road and visit the campus. That's the kind of uh, growth and the kind of thing we think can be a win-win for, for everyone. It will make, uh, we're not gonna change the world, but we can change two small communities. Yeah. Dad, you know, I think it's time for us to close out. I know this has probably been one of our longer podcasts and definitely more robust. I, we have to invite you all back. <laughs> we were acting all shy in the beginning uh, and now we gotta cut it because you're all in the conversation, but that's a good thing. Yeah. Are there any last comments you all would like to make or just share? Because some people may hear this later. I feel like every school should do what we just did. Uh, at, at least. Like, if the whole, I'm telling you, if the whole world knew <laughs> what we just saw, I don't know, I think change their perspective. Oh, change, absolutely. Like, it almost, like, it almost made me cry, like at the point where it's like, wow, that that's incredible. Well, I'll be honest with you, I did pull to the side. I cried today. <laughs> I don't know where you saw me. I was, you know, and, and, and it was I was at the I was at the section dealing with with uh, Billie Holiday. And uh, Asia knows I'm a big fan of Billie Holiday, and she was singing "Strange Fruit." Yeah. And as she was singing the "Strange oh, Fruit." You know, yeah. there's a graphic that was still in the mention, and I had, I mean, I did, I stepped away. I, I cried. I mean, yeah. I, I got emotional, and 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 uh, that's what that's what what you just said. That's the experience that that 
Americans, not just black Americans or whatever, all Americans uh, need to, because this is an American experience. Yeah. This is something that happened in America, right? And so if America doesn't know about this, America needs to know about this. Because as I said to Ezra earlier, when we talk about the difference between, say, uh, Germany uh, after the Holocaust or South Africa after apartheid, one of the things that people did was they faced the fact that they had done these things. And they said, before we can reconcile, before we can reconcile, we have to admit that this happened, and then we can go forward, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and all this, all this stuff that we saw, I'm guessing people rejected their voice. Like, like I was saying earlier, your voice is strong. So I'm guessing that the people who've been through the through that spoke how how what they saw and how they felt. And people need to realize that it's okay to speak up. Speak up. I'd rather you speak up than not to say not to say anything. That's right. That's right. And it's beautiful when you speak up and you have a collective behind you, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's scary when you speak up by yourself, which you still do, but it's even better when you have people, friends, and colleagues like this to speak up behind you. You know, just quickly, Ashley and I were, were here in Montgomery and we just passed by the uh, a high school and it still had Robert E. Lee as the high school. There's things like that that continue to sting our American narrative today. That's why dad still was emotional when he saw it. So the work that you all are doing is so critical and it's so important. And all of the people that you have behind you, continue to give them their flowers because this ain't easy work for them either, right? So continue to lift them up too so that they can continue to do these things like they're doing for you. So well, thank you so much, Aisha. This has been a joy. This is a treat. You know, anytime we get together for a podcast, she's absolutely right. This is something we've often talked about, having a live mm-hmm. podcast with a live audience. And this is one of our longest ones. We don't mm-hmm. we don't have any problem with that because you guys were you brought it alive. And yes. we really uh, appreciate that. And we hope the audience out there uh, can feel the, the sincerity, can feel the, the passion that you guys uh, demonstrated, and the fact that you all represented young people well. Yes, you did it. See, you. all Gen Z is aren't bad. Are y'all Gen Z's? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Gen Z. Okay. <laughs> they are hopeful. So I'll, you know, I'll close this out. Thank you all again for tuning in to Dad Daughter Dialogue. If you're listening on Facebook Live, please, please continue to like, share this live a little bit later. We will definitely put all the information of our folks that were interviewed today as well as the people that we mentioned uh, earlier. I just realized, Janelle, I said your name, last name wrong, but I will get it right in our information, in the content. Um, if you want to follow us on Dad Daughter Dialogues, please do so on Instagram. We're there at Dad Daughter Dialogues. We're also on Facebook at Dad Daughter Dialogues. We also have our own email address, Dad Daughter Dialogues, that's with an S at gmail.com. We also have merch. Dad is wearing an old shirt, but we have some new ones. Don't, you know, don't, don't be scared. So we have merch that you can purchase as well. We have a book as well that you can buy, which is a, just kind of a copy of all of our podcasts. So please subscribe wherever you are. Tune in to us. And as always, we always ask you to take care and be safe. One love. This is the love that makes me strong, yeah. This is the love, this is the love.